Before we get started today, I just wanted to take a minute to invite you to our next group consult. If you are a trauma treatment professional and want to gather with other like-minded professionals to gain support, insight, and share your own knowledge and resources, join us. You can present or you can just listen. This opportunity is open to all trauma treatment professionals. It will be held virtually and we will meet for one and a half hours. Don't miss it. Register and learn more at traumatreatmentcollective.com. Welcome to the Trauma Treatment Collective podcast. My name is Nina Keeler, a licensed marriage and family therapist and trauma specialist. In this space, we will share tips and tools on how to grow your trauma treatment skills while also keeping your own mental health in mind. Welcome to our first-time listeners and welcome back to our followers. Today, I want to share with you a guest by the name of Sheena Lachey. I did an interview with Sheena and it was fabulous. I always love the work that Sheena does. Um, I always find it to be so uh, thought-provoking when we have a conversation. And so I wanted to share this interview with you. But before I do, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Sheena. Sheena Lachey is a relational trauma and love addiction expert, coach, and licensed professional counselor based out of Houston, Texas. She is the founder of Black Girls Heal, a coaching and therapeutic education company dedicated to helping women of color break the cycles of unavailable relationships and love addiction, heal unresolved childhood trauma, and improve their self-love to make way for the love they want. With these specializations, Sheena hosts the Black Girls Heal podcast, which talks about all things love addiction, intimacy, attachment, and healing internal wounds. She created the Heal and Love Women Framework, to help women have a clear path to outline their healing process to become balanced and available to healthy love. Her coaching programs housed under the recovery school helps give women proven and tested systems to break these cycles and change their lives. So without further ado, here's my interview with Sheena. All right, Sheena, we're going to go ahead and dive in and get started with this uh, discussion. I'm so excited to have you. So thank you so much for being with us and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and your experience with the community. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So let's start with the first question of tell us a little bit about your journey with love addiction and how you got started becoming passionate about this particular population of people and working with people who struggle with love addiction. Um, So how did you land in this particular area? Yeah. So like you, I'm a therapist by trade. I'm currently uh, working as a coach, but when I was a therapist, I used to work in a residential treatment center with a lot of dual diagnosis. So everything from borderline personality, bipolar, uh, drug addictions, uh, you name it. And one of the things that they would talk about at this treatment center is that our patients would need to be in recovery from love addiction in addition to, you know, withdrawal from narcotics or alcohol, whatever else. And I remember distinctly thinking, what what the heck is love addiction? This is not a thing, but I'll do it. You know, there were like 12-step uh, forms and all that with, with that. And I was like, what does that even mean? And then lo and behold, um, a year or so later into the job, my mom ended up passing away. And um, I went to therapy. And already before I had gone to therapy, I had had a series. I, I found that I would be very high functioning in my personal, in my friendships, in my career, and all these other areas. But when it came to relationships, that I would continue to be in relationships with people who were 
not as interested in me as I was in with them or, you know, I was settled in some way, but I just thought it's par for the course is what you would hear about when it comes to dating and relationships and all of that. And then after my mom passed away, all of the issues that I was dealing with around relationships, sex and everything else escalated to the point that my therapist suggested that I go to Sex Addicts Anonymous. And I said, I am not a perpetrator. I'm not going to sex, you know, all all the stereotypes that come with that. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, he suggested Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And so I went to the meetings, these meetings that I've been talking to people, talking to people about for years. And I saw people who looks like me. I saw normal women who were lawyers, who were stay-at-home moms, that were teachers, that were, uh, you know, just everyday people that you see walking down the street who were talking about using love as a self or the idea of love or fantasy and these unhealthy relationships as a self-soothe technique when it came to um, romance and comes to self-worth. And so... Now having language around it and it making sense and it putting into place all the things that I've been experiencing and even things that I've seen in other people, I just took a deep dive into that. And the more I did, the more I saw that there weren't resources and there weren't as much language around it. And so I just built a world around it that I helped people with now. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about what is love addiction? Like if you were explaining it to someone um, like yourself who had kind of been like, no, I don't think that's really me. I'm not really, you know, buying it. Like, how would you explain it to someone to help them to see that um, this might be something that they might be struggling with? Right, right. So love love addiction is the persistent obsession of a person, a relationship, or the fantasy of who you want that person or relationship to be, what it could be, and mistaking that intense obsession and connection for love. And the difference, what makes it so devastating is that because you are so attached to this fantasy or this outcome, you will self-abandon. So it's past having a crush. It's, if I don't, if this doesn't work out with this person, if I don't get, um, if I don't end up being in a relationship, if no one loves me, then that means that there's something wrong with me. It means that I'm not enough. And the thing about love addiction is that it's a trauma response. It's not as simple as where you just need some relationship tips or you just need some good advice or what people who struggle with love addiction have heard forever. You just need to love yourself more and raise your standards. It's not as simple. Um, we are continuing to to find the same patterns. We continue to find people who are unavailable to us because we've had incidents of emotional neglect as children. We've had um, maybe incidents of physical or sexual abuse as children. And so we find relationships in our adulthood and not just romantic relationships. This happens in friendships and codependency, finding people who you continue to be the caretaker and the giver. You know, the opposite of love addiction is love avoidance, but it's still on the same spectrum. So either I find people who are avoidant with me or I become avoidant when I find people who want to be in relationship with me because I've learned early on that Intimacy is either scary, it is, um, it doesn't last, uh, it comes with its cost. So if I'm intimate with someone, they're going to want to take my freedom from me, they're going to want to take my identity. And so I push people away because I'm afraid of being suffocated. And so it all works together in that way. Yeah. So the next question I was going to ask you was about signs, but you mentioned some of the signs in that example, you know, when you were giving the explanation of the definition of love addiction. Um, with that avoidant type of behavior, you know, you may hear people pushing away from relationship or you may hear people fantasizing about relationship with love addiction. 
Um, are there any other signs that you like to make sure that you mention when talking about love addiction? Yeah. So it usually, again, it's both sides of the same coin. They may look very different, but people, the question I get the most from people is, can I be a love addict and love avoidant? Like with some people, I'm like this and some people I'm like that. And the answer is always yes. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to love addiction, what are some of the symptoms? So people who may say they, when they love, they love hard. So falling in love with the idea of love. When you see that someone is showing up in a way that is damaging to you emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, even financially, it is difficult, if not impossible, for you to make, to cut those relationships off. You personalize the impact of what a breakup means. Again, it means that there's something wrong with you, that there's a fatal flaw with you, um, and you really need to find resolution with making sure everybody is okay. So again, all love addicts are codependent, but maybe not all codependents are love addicts. So that loss of self, the way that you may change how you act with a certain person versus how you act in everyday life. So for example, someone who struggles with love addiction may find that they're great at being boundaried in their career or with their friendships. But when it comes to their intimate relationships, they may regress. They may um, give a lot of their power away. They may find that they are um, inconsolable when things are going wrong. And so that's a sign of love addiction. When it comes to love avoidance, it is kind of this, when I'm able to teach this in person, I kind of give this push-pull sign. So with one hand, I'm pushing someone away. And with the other hand, I'm signaling for you to come close. So you want someone to be close to you, but not too close. You want to be able to see them, but you don't really want to give away um, access to your heart, access to your energy and your mind for the reasons that I said before. You're afraid of the cost. And Love addicts and love avoidance are both afraid of rejection and abandonment. You just show it in different ways. So someone who's love avoidant, they may be all bright and shiny on the outside, you know, very high functioning. Typically, someone who's love avoidant is really good at telling you and having receipts for why a relationship didn't work out. Again, friendship or romantic. So they're very good at telling you, well, they didn't meet my standard in this way. And, you know, they were just annoying and I deserve better. And it may sound really amazing, but what you find with someone who's love avoidant is they have a graveyard of relationships of, um, they, they find it that find that it's very hard for them to push through conflict. Um, and not even conflict. Sometimes when it comes to love avoidance, you can have a relationship that's great, but because, your core attachment pattern does not know how to invite intimacy, you will create a reason to sabotage the relationship. You'll create a reason to push someone away. So you have to do that inner work to make sure that you can not only give love, but also learn how to receive it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So as you talked about that last piece about the end, having to do the inner work, I was thinking as you were talking through the different ways that it might show up in a client is, What are modalities or treatment approaches that you have found to be helpful? Um, And if a client, if a, if a therapist wanted to, or a trauma treatment professional um, wanted to figure out like, okay, this is something I want to grow my skill set in, like, where would you direct them? Or what have you found to be most helpful as you have grown your skill set in this area? Yeah. Um, so I think even if you don't agree with the model, because I know there's controversy depending on what side of the uh, field that you lay on or land on, having knowledge around the 12-step process and why it exists the way that it does uh, and just addiction in itself is really, really helpful. What I find with people who've come to me back when I was doing therapy and even as a coach is what they would find with their 
therapist is that they would not see it for the addiction that it is. I mean, it's not in the DSM, right? And then, of course, you know, the bias, like, you know, people talk about love in so many flighty ways in popular culture and everything. Um, the bias is that you cannot be addicted to love, but you actually absolutely can, or the fantasy of it, or what the promise of it is. And so building your knowledge around that so that you can have the grace and the empathy and to treat relapses for what they are for actual relapses and to look at, okay, what were the triggers here? What were the emotional connections? What is it? What is the outcome that you were looking for? What is the pain that you were trying to soothe that made you reach out for your drug of choice, whether or not it is, it is an ex relationship, whether or not it is pornography, whether or not it is, you know, sexually acting out and treating it with the respect that it deserves because there is so much shame around this disorder that you giving someone tough love and saying, you know, we've talked about this relationship or you promised this, or I don't think you actually want to get better. All of those are things that actually push your client deeper into their hole. And either they're going to stop coming or they are going to start acting out and not telling you about it or faking. Um, so there's that when it comes to the trauma the trauma responses as well, and the triggers as far as negative core beliefs. So I'm not enough that makes them want to act out or that there's something wrong with me or I'm not loved. EMDR is phenomenal with that. Mm -hmm. um, of course, somatic experiencing is so important because it's all, you know, their body is looking for release or, or looking for relief. And so um, I'm going to text and call or I'm going to get connected to this person or I'm going to compulsively masturbate because there is so much pain happening inside of me that I might not have words for. And so helping them learn how to release all of the triggers through their body and through embodiment is phenomenal. And then the last one that I would say is dialectical behavior therapy so that they can start to do a chain analysis of what was the process that led to me making this phone call, cutting this person off, um, self-harming in this way, and having a lot of emotional skills around it to help them get to a place where they feel neutral and feel safe. Yeah, I love that because it's what I was kind of tracking as you were talking was it's a lot of different approaches that kind of come together. Um, yeah. so you have the cognitive piece, you have the somatic piece, you have the um, EMDR piece, you know, like it's a lot of different things like kind of targeting it from a lot of different, the visual I had was targeting it from a lot of different areas, you know, like coming in from the side, coming in from the top, coming in from the bottom, like really wrapping around the client um, to support them as they move through. Um, and then also having the support of the 12 step community, if that's something that um, they buy into and could be beneficial for them. Mm -hmm. um, it, I know. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Just to say, because, you know, what I found and the reason why I started to specialize in love addiction is that I would find that there would be practitioners that would just pick one of those or one of those areas. So they would just just address it cognitively or they would just address it, um, you know, and somatically. But you really need to learn. You have to learn skills because you've been doing this your whole life in, in a certain way. And you have to learn how to address the thoughts because your thoughts will impact your behavior and you do have to address your body. And so if you only hit one area, you'll find a lot of people having a whole lot of false starts where they think that they're getting better only to relapse and regress. And then the therapist is not, it may also, I mean, just to be honest, may also start to get frustrated because mm -hmm. the techniques aren't working, but it's because this is a holistic, like this is a full body disorder that you have to address in multiple ways. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's an honest assessment is, is that it does bring frustration um, for the clinician because they're just like, we're giving it all we got, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and frustration for the client too, you know, right. and, and, and kind of hopelessness can set in and all kinds of things can happen. Um, so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a, um, a guest in talking a little bit about substance abuse and they had talked about the 12 step, um, for, you know, alcohol anonymous, uh, or narcotics anonymous being having open and closed meetings. Is it the same setup for a love addiction, um, or love avoidance meetings? Uh, can you have a open meeting where people can go and kind of just set in and then are there closed meetings if people wanted to participate in that? So I don't remember there being a designation on open versus close. I think when it comes to love addiction, Nina, like most people come just to watch. (laughs) I guess like most addictions, like they just come just to watch because kind of like me, it's like, well, they don't need to know all my business or Mm -hmm. they're definitely not going to be late. Like, I feel like there's more skepticism when it comes to love and sex addiction versus narcotics and alcohol anonymous. And I don't know if that's because maybe they've been around longer. Um, It's just assumed that everybody there knows, kind of knows how bad it can get. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember there being designation on whether or not it's open or closed. Okay, cool. Um, So, you know, I would say to the community, just check in, you know, see um, if you're looking for a certain type of meeting or closed or open, see if that's an option. But I do hear you on that of like, um, one is older than the other, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. One is more talked about than the other. Um, so, yeah, I could see there may be some differences in that. So thought I'd just ask. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, anything else you want to say about the work that you're doing um, and like what you think might be important for our community members to hear when it comes to love addiction or love avoidance? Um, if they are noticing some of these behaviors in themselves or in their clients? Yeah, I would just really emphasize the two two things, having the grace and the empathy that you can, which I know we all come with, um, you know, warmth and a non-judgmental stance. And this disorder can be so triggering because it is so easy for your patients, even when they're not with narcissists, right? But for them, even when they're with the everyday Joe to still keep going back to the same behaviors and for you to feel as if they're not making progress. So um, hopefully me talking about it in this way is helpful and seeing um, that this probably needs a little bit more, more research or more thoughts or more conversations around it so that it is more normalized um, so that you can spot it when it comes into the room. And then also using that language with your clients, because I think, from my own personal experience and what I've seen with my clients, part of what makes it so hard is feeling as if there is something wrong with you. And I have all of these great things going. I'm killing it in all these ways. Why is there, why am I still doing this? And um, for them to know that they're not alone and um, that there is a, a way out for them. Um, that would just be my, my biggest encouragement. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it. I think those are two really important things. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. And I want to kind of talk a little bit to you about just being a professional mental health helping professional as a therapist for part of your career and now as a coach. Um, How do you stay healthy? How do you keep yourself healthy? What are you doing to take good care of yourself? 
Yeah. So the last several years, I've really focused more on my own embodiment and doing more body-based work, uh, body-based work, taking it slower, scaling back. Uh, I think as a healer, you want to help as many people as possible. Uh, and then I think the tide is actually shifting. But, you know, a few years ago, everywhere in our world, there was all these things about, you know, having a six-figure business and, you know, opening up all these group practices and how big can you get? And then getting to a place where you realize that's nice, but what is it that I actually need to feel to feel fulfilled? And what is it that's actually going to make me the best version of myself and being able to rest? And so embodiment was definitely part of that. Um, of course, I have uh, a therapist. My therapist currently is um, a somatic experiencer. So she's actually a body worker, but I call her my therapist <laughs> um, because of all the work that we do. And coaching, um, coaching for specific issues. That was something that I wanted to say earlier uh, is if you reach a place with your client that is something that you cannot hit on, that is okay for you to make that overt and to tell them um, and send them in the direction that they need for someone who can specialize in that. Um, and so for me, I'm very cognizant of there are some limitations that the workers I have can reach and some can't and some things I need therapy for and some things I need someone to give me solution based processes and for us to, you know, focus on. And so I do that. And then, of course, community. I am constantly talking with friends and loved ones, um, engaging my spirituality. And so just like I was describing earlier, I try to hit everything from a whole body, full, holistic approach. Nice. Uh, what's one thing you wish you would have known before starting your career journey? Oh, I wish I would have known that it was okay to do things the way I wanted to do them. So kind of similar before I lived in this world of hybrid therapy and coaching, but start before I started to go into it full time. And there are a lot of teachers and business programs that taught coaching in a certain way, in a certain format, you know, your one main product and all this other stuff. And I wish I would have trusted my gut to do everything that I wanted to do um, because I was on, I was on track <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and now I'm trying to pull back all of those things to be build a business that's authentically me and the way that I want to serve people. Um, but, you know, things always work out the way that they're supposed to, but I wish I would have known that I could have trusted my gut more at the beginning. Okay, that's nice. I I agree 100%. I am co-signing mm -hmm. on that one. Um, and what's one thing about you that you don't mind sharing with the community, like a little fun fact, whatever you want to share? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't even think it's that unique, but I'm a Harry Potter nerd, like a real <laughs> Harry Potter nerd. Like I'm not as deep as some people are where they know what happened on page 298 and book four but to the point that I because I've met those people <laughs> and I can't hang that deep but you know I've gone to Harry Potter inspired adult camps um and I went to one last year that was phenomenal um I just you know I love that world I am deep into the Harry Potter legacy game um that recently came out so you know that's that's something nice about me yeah, yeah, I didn't know that about you. All these years I've known you, and I did not know you were a Harry Potter mm -hmm. fan. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm glad I <laughs> asked that question. Um, 
then the last thing I wanted to ask you was, is like, I know as you talked about your business and the services that you provide, um, there may be people listening that are like, oh, I would love to be able to engage in some, you know, literature material services around this, or I have clients who could benefit. So could you tell people a little bit about what you provide, um, how your business is set up, how you could be a resource to people, um, share as much as you'd like about things that you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. So my business is called Black Girls Heal. Um, and so you can find our, uh, the website at blackgirlsheal.org. And our podcast is Black Girls Heal on all major, um, all major platforms. And I first started talking about love addiction for all people, um, all genders, all races, with a podcast called Love Junkie. But as I went into my private practice, I had more and more women of color coming into my office. And the thing about love addiction being a trauma-based um, reaction or trauma-based disorder is is not just what happens inside of our home, so our family trauma and everything. It's also what happens systemically through oppression, discrimination, and everything else. And so I couldn't find resources that I talked about that and the intersection of that along with family trauma and the impact of it and colorism and all of those things. And so that's where Black Girls Heal was um, birthed from. And so I have a coaching program called um, The Recovery School. That's my main coaching program that women can use to walk through healing from the symptoms of love addiction, love avoidance, and what we didn't talk about today, which is love anorexia, which is a, another form of um, intimacy disorder that that Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous community talks about. Um, so there's that. And then also have a lot of mini programs on how to go into no contact and work through love deprivation, aka love anorexia, that you can do on your own as well. And I do take private clients. And so though Black Girls Heal talks about love addiction through and for the experience of Black women, I constantly get emails from not only non-women of color, but also men who listen to the podcast and find it very helpful. Um, and I also take private clients of all races and genders as well. Um, so you can find coaching options for me on blackgirlsheal.org or my main uh, coaching page for myself, which is sheenalachey.com. And that's spelled S-H-E-N-A. L-A-S-H-E-Y dot com. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure we link to all of those um, so people can definitely find um, those um, links in the show notes um, so that if you're not at a place where you can write something down, just go to the show notes and we'll have all of that there. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Sheena, for sharing with us today. It has been a, a pleasure being with you in this space and talking um, I think it's something that's not talked about a lot. And so I definitely want to bring you on so that you could share with the community. So if they're seeing these things, they know what they are. And at least they have some thoughts about, okay, this is what I think this is. And this is how I can support this client. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. you enjoyed our episode for today just a quick reminder before you head out just make sure you head over to the traumatreatmentcollective.com to learn more about our monthly group consults we would love to have you join us